Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the match preview. Newcastle welcome Brighton to St James Park on Thursday. It's me, Andrew Musgrove, and as usual, joined by John Gibson. Now, John, we haven't said this in a while, if at all, this season, I don't think. But this is a must-win game for Newcastle United, isn't it? Never thought of that. Uh, yes, yes. Well, yes and no. Uh, I want to be optimistic about all this, you see. And I'm, I, I have realised that Newcastle fans, quite understandably, have got a bit twitchy having watched Brighton do to Arsenal what we couldn't do to Arsenal. And they're thinking, oh, dearie me, must win game and look how good Brighton are. Um, so having a think about it, I would like to stress two things immediately, my friend. The first one is that if we remember Arsenal nailed Brighton 3, and that's worries us, can we also remember the previous game they played, which was Brighton 1, Everton 5? So anything is possible. Those two results proved it. Everton had no chance at Brighton in the 1-5-1. Brighton had no chance at Arsenal because they were going for the title in the 1-3-0. Anything's possible. So we can still win this game on on uh, Friday, on Thursday night. Also, like they say, because people are getting twitchy, Worst case scenario, and heaven forbid, but you've got to look at everything. Worst case scenario, if we lose at home to Brighton, we still play Champions League soccer if we beat Leicester, who was so far gone it's untrue. I mean, you can do that with six men on the field. If we beat Leicester and then win at Chelsea on the last day, it is still in our hands, even if we lost to, to Brighton, never mind Drew with them. So it's not doomsday and it, it is must win to get rid of the nerves, but it's not must win because without winning, we can still get into the Champions League. By the way, I don't want to go down that route if I'm to win your last two games, but they are winnable. Leicester and Chelsea are winnable. So, you know, it is still in our hands. Yeah, mathematically, it's not must win. But as you say, to get rid of the nerves and just to make Correct. it a little bit easier to secure yes. top four football. Well, I mean, we want to do it straight away. And the way to do it in an ideal world is to qualify for the Champions League at home. Now, to do that, you've got to beat Brighton and then beat Leicester. Well, we will beat Leicester. But you've got to beat Brighton. Otherwise, you qualify at Chelsea. We will be Brighton as well. It might surprise you, John, but I'm feeling very optimistic about Thursday. That worries I'm not me. nervous. That me. I, I rather like you when you're a little bit nervous because I, I can give you a bit of reassurance and we can wander into the distance holding hands. I'm a little bit worried when you're uh, feeling ultra confident, but uh, good on you. Well, let me just paint the picture. You know, the match under the light at St James's Park with all the flags and banners and the cheering and the chant and blading races over the Tannoy. An early goal, Alexander Isaac. A second goal comes just before half time, and Newcastle take that penultimate step closer to top four football. I'm feeling it, John. I'm feeling it. Well, that's wonderful, and I think you could well be right because I'm feeling that we'll do it uh, against Brighton. I think it might be a bit more nervy than that, but then. Um, when you were starting to paint that picture there, which was lovely, you know, about the flags and the atmosphere and everything, because this is a unique place. 
my mind temporarily wandered back playing devil's advocate to the the start of the last home game was exactly like that and we lost Arsenal and we started terrific didn't we against Arsenal I mean Murphy struck the post we had a penalty denied I mean we look as if we were going to beat them 3-0 the way that Brighton did and then it just turned different but no uh, I'm not a Jonah I still think we will get a nervy win against Brighton and then beat Leicester and we're okay. But I wanted to paint the picture because people are getting twitchy because Brighton did revert back to the old Brighton down at the Emirates. They were terrific. Um, and I just want to steady nerves that we could actually lose to Brighton and as long as we beat Leicester and Chelsea, we're still in the Champions League. It's funny because I, I can't remember who said it, but after the Arsenal game, one of the pundits said when the opposition to Brighton has something to lose, that suits Brighton. But I think that kind of maybe a little bit um, insultingly forgets the position Brighton are in because, you know, they are on 58 points. They're sixth. They've got a couple of games in hand. You know, they're very much fighting for for that fifth-place position um, with Liverpool as well, you would think, if they win the two games in hand. So they've got something to lose as well. It's not a case that they're coming here with nothing to lose. You know, they have something to achieve in the remainder of their games as well. I mean, when they play well, they are a terrific side. Uh, there's absolutely no question about that. And they will give us a game and a half. There's no question about that either. I think it sometimes suits them to be away and to, to counter-attack sides. It suits the players they've got. They're a phenomenal club. I mean, can you believe it? This is not meant with a lack of respect, but there was so, a small town club, aren't they? You know, they're not Manchester or Birmingham or London or even Newcastle or Liverpool. They're a small town club. They sell all the good players. All the good players go. Everybody goes. I mean, we took one of their players. We then took the, the director of football, Dan Ashworth. Chelsea took their manager. They get players in nobody's heard of. They get managers in nobody's heard of. And they still keep winning. They are they defy everything that's logic about Premier League football. And good on them. It's until the players, good on them, of course. But uh, it, it's phenomenal to see. They are a contradiction totally. And they are to be feared by any side. But, but... They're not unbeatable, as Everton showed. I mean, that's looking more and more fluke, a fluke. Both Everton scoring five and, and Brighton losing, being humiliated at home. But if Newcastle get amongst them early doors, then we will be okay. We aren't looking at our best. And there are individuals that have had truly magnificent seasons for us. A magnificent season. And I'm thinking of people like Bruno and I'm thinking of Botman and Byrne who are looking as though they're in need of staggering over the finishing line and getting a rest at the end of the season. There's three games to go. Their standards have significantly dropped, their individual standards. I'm just hoping that the adrenaline, the home crowd, what's, it, uh, uh, what's on offer, will all be enough to get us over the line because there's no question that a couple of them are running on empty. Yeah, and we'll get into that in just a moment. You mentioned there how maybe playing away suits Brighton. I have a stat which backs that up, John. Not a stat I really want to read out, but I've got it written down, so I'm going to do so. Uh, 
Correct. Brighton have won eight Premier League away games this season, with only Manchester City and Arsenal winning more. So they're clearly very comfortable on the road. But hey, they're coming to St James's Park, where what two teams have picked up victories yep. in, in Newcastle at home. So you know they've got to come here. It's a fortress. In the words of Midar Gadusi, it is our house. This is not going to be an easy game for Brighton. I think it'll be a great game for the neutral. Yes, it I will. Think what's key is Newcastle don't concede an early goal. I think the first goal is key, and we just can't see Newcastle conceding early on like they did against Leeds and they have done well, in recent weeks. I mean, that has infuriated me. Now, you know, I can't be accused of banging on, but as we're dealing in stats, we're dealing in stats. What bothers me is this best defence in the Premier League, and by the way, Man City have caught us up on that one. The best defence in the Premier League has kept one clean sheet in Newcastle's last 17 league and cup games. That is not good. Because that guarantees that we have to at least score twice to win. And in some cases, like down at Leeds, we would have had to score three times to win. And we are conceding goals. I banged on about it in my column on the eve of the Leeds match. And I then start watching the Leeds match. Seven minutes in, we concede. Seven minutes in, that's all gone to the wall. And by the way... If they'd scored the penalty, we would have lost. Um, so, and then we, we concede another one. We are conceding too easily. It mightn't be bucket loads normally, but one clean sheet in 17. Before that, we had six successive clean sheets. We have got to get that back door shut and bolted because then you've got a real chance. So what is the reason for that, do you think? Do you think, like you said, they're running on empty, that plays a part? Are nerves starting to creep in? Why no, are they conceding so many goals? Yeah, I don't think it's nerves. Uh, I think we are running on empty. I think we've got a small squad. I think if we reach this stage of the season, Andrew, under normal circumstances, the way some of the back are playing, there would be changes. But what I'm not talking about the goalkeeper, I'm talking about the back four. What changes can he make? Emil Kraft, the, the, the cover right back, has been injured all season. Lascelles, the cover centre-half, won't play again this season. Left-back, Target and Dummett, despite very nice words spoken by the manager, who always speaks a lot of very nice words, aren't, haven't got enough kudos in the bank, as far as the manager's concerned, to get into the left-back position, which is held by Byrne, who's a centre-half. So he hasn't got a lot of option to change the back. And, and, and therefore, he's stuck with it. Originally, you stick with it because they've kept six clean sheets. They're not letting goals in, etc. But now they are letting goals in. But what's the alternative? If he wanted to change the back four on Thursday night, and I'm not suggesting for one moment he wants to, but who's available to change it? Yeah, that, that's very true. I mean, the only change you could really see happening, I don't for one moment think this will happen, is Dan Byrne maybe coming in for one of the centre-backs. You know, if that was to happen, it would be Botman because you don't really want two lefts. No, it would be Botman. Would be Botman. But I don't think he's going to do that. It's just not well, going to happen. He's, 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 he loves Dan and he could keep Dan and Dan's more gifted in that position. But does he love Target enough? 
he's had plenty of chances to bring Target in at left-back and he's brought him in once, hasn't he, of recent times? Yeah, and plus I think you also look at who will be up against the left-back and the right-back, to be fair. I mean, Brighton have got some some fantastic players and we'll learn more um, in tomorrow's episode with Richie Mills, who covers Brighton for Reach PLC. That's the view from the opposition. So we'll learn a bit more about Brighton star players. But they have, John, got a lot of talent, a lot of yeah. unknown uh, players, haven't they, who are performing really well. So if it's Matoma up against uh, Dan Byrne, if it's Cisco up against Kieran Trippier, you know, our two fullbacks are going to have to be on top of their game to to make sure they keep them too quiet. And by the way, they haven't been on top of their game. We, we must get away from negativity, but it, we, we must also face facts. Um, you know, uh, Kieran Trippier, his standards are so high, it's untrue. And he's been sloppy a couple of times. You know, um, for example, I've seen a lot of criticism on social media about Pope on the first goal, Um down at Leeds in seven minutes, saying, all right, he, made a, he might have saved the penalty and he might have saved the initial header, but he palmed it back out. Now, long before it gets to Pope, there's people that you can point the finger at. Kieran Trippier shouldn't have allowed the cross to come in so easily. Our Byrne, and I think the other one was Botman, stood like milk bottles on a step, while two of their strikers went in between them for the header. I mean, you know, Byrne is leaden-footed. He's, he, he's doing his Grey's Monument bit. And, and so is the other fullback. Now then, you've got the fella running in on the ball that actually tapped in the rebound. And Isaac, who we all adore, packs in, tracking him. And so he's got a free hit in. So you, you're going you're gonna to have a dip at Pope. You've got to look at Trippier. You've got to look at Byrne and Botman. Then you've got to look at Isaac. Didn't track him into but of course you know lots of people love Isaac and love Trippier so they tend not to look at that but if we're being harsh and Eddie Howe will be harsh he, he looked at it and he'll know exactly what's happened and he'll have mentioned that and so would Trippier you know but um, yeah we're, we've been a bit slack at the back and uh, it is worrying because we've got three games left we've only got to win two it's in our hands but if we are going to concede in all those three games We've got to score two every time, minimum, to to get those wins. Yeah, and I guess the point there being, if you're going to defend like that against Brighton in the same fashion you defended oh. against Leeds, Brighton will punish you much more than Leeds are capable of doing so. There's no question. There's no question about that. And um, you know, I I hasten to add, I do not want to get at this stage morbid because it's still in our hands. I still think we'll do it. I. St- Still think we'll do it if we've got to do it the hard way, i.e. we don't beat Brighton. And therefore, we've got, even if we draw with Brighton, we've got to beat Leicester and Chelsea. OK, we'll go and beat Leicester and Chelsea. But but we don't want it to go at the last day. We don't want to get... Then, this squeaky time that you've talked about in the, in the past would come into play. If we've got to go to Chelsea and win, squeaky time then does come into play. Hmm. I think I'm expecting a reaction from especially the defence against Brighton. I think we'll see a much stronger performance, a much tighter performance. I think they'll be well aware of the likes of Matoma, McAllister. You can't give these quality players. I mean, McAllister, a World Cup winner, you cannot give him the space that they've been affording 
we did with, we did with Odegaard though, didn't we? But that's when you're concerning. all about him. When you're all about him, and we stood off him on on Arsenal's first goal, and that changed the match, Andrew. That changed the game. That goal changed the game. I just uh, think they'll be sh- they've got to be sharp, haven't they? They've got to be yes. more alert, and I, I think they will be. I think they will be because they know what's at stake. They know it's fine margins, and they know if they get the three points here, it's pretty much done and dusted. So. I'm expecting a much better performance from the defence. I think they've got to get tighter. I think if if you as fullbacks, if you if you step off and you allow Matoma to run at you, you're gonna have a very, very hard time of it. But if you get in tight on him, you rattle him, you get the foot in, he's not gonna like that. But if you allow him to run at you and you've got to be checking over your shoulder and checking back, sure. That's his bread and butter, isn't it? Sure, sure. Um they are very, very dangerous. There's no question about that. But we, as you say, we have uh, we've only lost two out of seventeen at home. We've won ten of those seventeen. It's not as if we're we're playing our first good side at home. We've beaten Manchester United. We've beaten we've massacred Spurs. Man City were not, unable to beat us up here. You know, outside of of Liverpool and Arsenal. We've took them all on at St James's Park, and they haven't been able to um, to do us. Mentioning the fact that Liverpool are one of them, doses, I am having nightmares about the six points we give Liverpool. The only team to do the double overs this season, and they're the team breathing on the back of our neck now. Ironic, isn't it? Without those yeah. six points, they would not be at the races. No, but thankfully the goal difference puts Manchester United, I think, in a, in a bit more of a, a, a precarious oh, position than Newcastle. Um, it is. You said there, and quite rightly, Brighton are you know a good side. Uh, they're dangerous, but hey, saw Newcastle on that day. And if Newcastle United perform in the manner they've done for the majority of this season, they'll be leaving Thursday night with all three points. We just need them to to be on on the game. There are a few selection dilemmas, I think, John, that we we have to talk about. The first one is the Isaac Wilson debate, experiment, whatever you want to call it. For me, it hasn't worked. For me, I don't see uh, both starting on Thursday. I think if it was me... You didn't see them both both starting at Leeds in in the day? No, I I didn't, and he started them, but I'm going to stick stick by it. They shouldn't start on Thursday. Put Isaac up top for me, and then you bring in... You bring an answer at maximum, I think, and you just go for it. You try and get, you know, a couple of early goals. You try and win the first half, and then maybe that's when you make your defensive kind of substitution. You bring on someone who's got a bit more track and back about them, and not protect the lead, but kind of, you know, supplement it. And uh, what, what would you do? Yeah, I, I think you're, you're pretty well spot on. The only, the only changes there's going to be, really, I think, is the front three. There's, there's not options with the back four. There's not options with the middle three unless Longstaff was miraculously recovered. And he, he won't have recovered enough to start in the last 90 minutes. Uh, uh, so you've got your middle three have uh, got to be what they've got to be, which is Willick, Joel, Linton and Bruno. So there's only the front three. Um, and I, I think I would go with you. I'd revert to what he used to do. And I would start with Isaac and I would bring Wilson on off the bench. You've then just got to decide who your two wide players are. Um, and 
Probably, I guess. Yeah, yeah, Murphy will come into contention again if he's got over his groin because he's he's, he's done well. Uh, so you're then looking: is it Murphy? Is it is it Almiron? Is Maxi fit enough to start? Uh, match fit enough to start? Uh, and does Gordon get in? But it's two of the four. Um, and really, you can flick a coin. I, I think if fully fit, the one that's pretty certain and nailed on would probably be Murphy. Yeah, see, I was just thinking as as you were saying it, uh, I think Murphy probably does come back into the side. But then I also think Brighton going forward, as we mentioned, are very dangerous. So you are going to need somebody tracking back. And if you've got Max on the other side, who's that's not his game. He doesn't do that very well. I mean, Murphy does come back, but we also Miggy, you know, kind of goes that extra mile as well. I, I guess they're both similar players in many ways. I think... What's interesting, though, when Almiron plays, the first thought isn't get the ball in the box. The first thought tends to be he goes down the wing, he cuts inside, he passes it to Trippier or passes it to Bruno, and then he looks for the return. Whereas with Jacob Murphy, the first thought is I'm getting that ball in the box. And I just wonder if that's a little bit more effective with, with what we need to do. We, we need to win this game. Newcastle need to win this game by any means. And I just wonder... If you've got someone whose first thought is, I'm putting it into the mixer, as they say, is that a better option to have than someone who wants to play the kind of nice-looking one-two football? Yeah, yeah, because I don't know that Miggy looks, and it's a bit harsh because he's been out uh, injured, but I don't know if he looks like the goal scorer he looked in the first half of the season. And if you take that out of his game, then he becomes very much a different player. Um I mean, I still think that while Isaac did well, wide left, because he's a good footballer. And if you're a good footballer, you'll play football once you're on the ball, whatever part of the field you're in. But I think it offers different things to Wilson from the centre of the pitch. But in some ways, some better things. Getting in behind his quick control, his feet's quicker, his touch is better than Wilson's. And I think I would like to see him going through the middle. We're missing his goals when he's out wide more. Though he did drop in at Leeds after starting wide left. He did play 10, really, at Leeds. And in Newcastle were a lot better when he played 10 uh, alongside Wilson. But, um, yeah, I would want uh, Isaac to start centre-forward on Thursday night. I think, and I mentioned this on the episode with Aaron earlier in the week, that the battle is going to be against Lewis Dunk, you would assume. And I think Lewis Dunk will excel if he has to play a striker who likes to back into defenders, who likes to hold the ball up, i.e. Callum Wilson, who likes a good battle of strength. I think that's Lewis Dunk's bread and butter. He's going to love that. Whereas... If you have a player who drifts in from the from the wide, as Isaac does when he starts up top, and you know makes Lewis Dunk run, makes Lewis Dunk have to sprint, makes Lewis Dunk backtrack, makes Lewis Dunk always checking over his shoulder. That's how you get at Brighton, and for me, that's why you start Isaac on Thursday. Yeah, I follow that totally. Um, Isaac's quick; he likes running behind players. Uh, Dunk could screw himself into the turf looking around to see where he is um, I, I think it would, horses for courses it would suit the current situation if Newcastle went down that path where the flip of the coin comes and we'll, we'll all have a say and so will all the punters is 
who the two from four out wide then. Um, and we're saying two from four, he, he won't start him, but Anderson can come into that equation on the left side as well, of course. Thank you very much for listening to the episode so far, Andrew Muscovy. I just want to point you guys in the direction of a live event that we're holding on May the 25th. That's a Thursday night. We'll be at the Tyneside Irish Centre, myself and Newcastle United writer Kieran Kelly and Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes and our chief Newcastle United writer Lee Ryder. The Daily Mirror Simon Bird will also be on the panel. But to kick things off, we'll have a club legend with us. Arguably one of the best crossers of the ball ever to play in black and white. Alan Shearer is a massive fan of this man. It is Norberto Solano. This is your opportunity to come and meet a Newcastle United legend and talk about all things Newcastle United with our panel. Hopefully, by that time, Newcastle will have secured top four football, so there's going to be plenty to talk about. The brilliant season so far, what's to come in the summer transfer window, and then those nights on the continent, hopefully against Barcelona or an Inter Milan. It's going to be a great night. To secure your ticket, hit that link in the description to this episode, and head over to eventbrite.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love to see you. We can't wait to see you. It's going to be a great evening, raising really important funds as well for the Newcastle United fans food bank. So hit that link, secure your ticket, and we look forward to seeing you on May the 25th. And I, I think Gordon didn't do a bad job against Leeds. He was very unfortunate that he got brought down later on. He could have scored the winner. I, I, th- I think the annoying thing about Anthony Gordon for me is that for some, he's becoming the scapegoat. Things aren't going as maybe as well as people wanted to do. I mean, you want to win every game, don't you? You're never going to win every game. But again, you know, losing against Arsenal, drawing against Leeds when you would have expected and wanted to win against a team battling for their lives. Social media, especially, you know, the Twitter uh, fan base, some of it anyway, it has really gone in on Anthony Gordon. I've seen people saying he's the worst signing, should never have been signed. I think that's really, really harsh. And you, you know what? Thursday could be his chance. I know we, we're now starting every bloody player on the wing, John. We're going to have about seven wingers, aren't we? But I, I, I just want to get your view, overall view, on, on some of the takes on Anthony Gordon because I think he's been very harshly treated. Yeah. I think one of his problems is that if you don't know the guy personally, there's a lot of football fans don't like him because when he played for Everton or he plays against your club, he irritates you, doesn't he? His attitude on the park, he, he irritates you. So a lot of football fans, including Newcastle fans, when he played for Everton, when he played for Everton up here, didn't take to him at all well. Generally, the way he left Everton created a bad taste in some people's mouths, not necessarily Newcastle fans, but in general terms, you know, the way he sort of walked out on them, the fans attacked him in his car, etc., etc. He has got off to an indifferent start up here for several reasons. Being League Cup-tied when we were going to go to Wembley was one of them, getting an injury after that. Um, but we've had signings that haven't started well at Newcastle and signings that have been held back by the manager. Bruno, when he first arrived, was held back by the manager. Isaac was held back by the manager. The same applies to this guy. I think we won't see the best of Gordon until next season. It is harsh on the lad. The lad's only 22. Um, But when you come for big money... The funny thing is that when Joe Linton come for £40 and played centre-forward and played it pretty poorly... 
there was still a bit of affection there. He never got, he wasn't as universally disliked as Gordon appears to be in some people's eyes. And now when he's come great where he is, he's, he's Mr. Big Teddy Bear now. Everybody wants to hug. And, you know, it's it's horses for courses, I guess. I'm not sure if it was affection or whether it was just sympathy, I think, maybe. There wasn't viciousness. Well, I think I think if you ask Joe Linton about that FA Cup game uh, against, I can't remember who it was against, uh, but it, he got some torrid abuse from the from the um, from some sections of the the away stands. It was against the Lower League club. Um, yeah, it was, and that was that was really painful. Um, Eventually, it caught up with him, yeah. but I mean, Gordon's had it from the start. Gordon's Gordon from the start at Newcastle has had some abuse from certain sections of social media. Do we just say, look, Eddie Howe, Steve Nixon, Dan Ashworth, they would not have bought Anthony Gordon without a true belief that he can be a big player for Newcastle in the seasons to come. And yes, you'd be critical when it's when it's right and when it when it when it needs to be on of a player's performance. Um, but you've got to be fair, you've got to be balanced. And the bottom line is you just trust the judgment of the three, four people making the transfers and, and the decisions. The reason you, you, you trust them is because that's proven to be right uh, in terms of the signings have, in the main, turned out to be first class. And Gordon was on the Newcastle radar for an awful long time, as most players are before they signed from Newcastle, whether that was Botman, whether it was Bruno, uh, whether it was Isaac. They were on the radar for a long time before signed. And Gordon was well thought of at Newcastle by Eddie Howe as being an Eddie Howe type of player, etc., etc. It is too early to write him off, and we should know that. We, as Geordies, I mean, having written off Almiron and Joe Linton and, um, to a certain extent, uh, Shaw, etc., uh, etc. Et I know you're going to jump in with Almiron as part of the fan club base, but when he first came and scored one goal in about 856 appearances, he was a, he was often described as a headless chicken. And in the big worries, he goes back to being that, of course. Um, but, but these guys were generally accepted as being sort of average and then suddenly blossom. May that still happen with Gordon? Uh, but he's got to somehow get through the rest of this season on Newcastle Ave. Maybe they don't start him in any of the three games. Maybe they start him in all the three. But we've got to get through this, then give him a pre-season training and pre-season games, and then really decide on him next season. Yeah, and I wonder, we like you say, the season's coming to an end and there's only one thing in the front of Eddie Howe's mind and that's winning games to get Champions League football. So I assume it's going to be like that on the training pitch as well. There's not going to be really the time to go in-depth on the training pitch and be like, try to really improve no. a player. That will come in the pre-season. So I think you're right. I think when he gets a full pre-season under his belt with Eddie Howe, I think we'll see a totally different player come the start of next season. I'm looking forward to it, but of course the focus is on the remainder of the games and Absolutely. Thursday. Um, let's run through your team then, John, because you know, in an ideal world, you would have a midfielder on the bench of top-class quality to come in and take the responsibility off Bruno, who is looking like a former shadow of himself. He's in pain. Yeah. But the bottom line is they have no options. They cannot nope. take Bruno out of the team 
and it's been suggested on social media, is he now better to be used as an impact sub and put someone else in there? I saw Which, that, but the answer is, who do you bring in to make him an impact sub? Who do you put in the side? Do you feel for him, though? Because, I mean, he's oh, clearly not 100%, is he? I totally feel for him. Absolutely, utterly feel for him. Because under normal circumstances, he needs a rest. And I don't mean he's physically exhausted. I'm talking about his injury. He will not recover from that until he gets the summer to rest that ankle. Um, there's absolutely no question about that. The one chance he had of pulling him out and using him as an impact sub is if uh, Longstaff was there and fully fit and 100%. You could go Longstaff, uh, Willick and Joe Linton. Um, you haven't got that option. Anderson is not a real option. He's not ready to dominate in, in a engine room i think that will be his position eventually but eddie's already hinted that if he gets in the team at the moment it would be wide left is is a better option for him to give him a bit of grass in which to work etc etc so we haven't got an option in midfield and that's the problem i saw that thing about an impact zone and what i was screaming out to ask the the guy is okay i follow your reasoning but how do we make him an impact sub? Because we've got to put somebody in the team. Who's that going to be? Yeah, and that, that is, like I said, the bottom line there. And it's a little bit frustrating, that I think, to watch because Bruno, he is not a number six because he seems to... He's got... His first instinct is to go forward and to pick a pass and to try and get in on goal. But then there's where the space is. And we've seen that when he's had to fill in for... Sean Longstaff, who just sits there really nicely. And yes, he makes late runs in, but as a whole, he's quite disciplined. And, you know, when they're attacking the opposition, he's there to stop that. It's very clear what Newcastle need to do in the summer. They need to they need to buy someone who can rival Sean Longstaff in that position. Tyler Adams from, from Leeds would be a realistic option. Going up the ladder at Declan Rice from West Ham would be, you know, the dream. But it's clear they need to sign a defensive midfielder in the summer. Oh, there's no question, and in Newcastle know that it's their list of if targets. I'm talking position-wise, not not individuals. Has always included a sitting midfielder and an attacking midfielder, together with a, a left back, and and a forward. Uh, I mean, the, the, they want those two midfield players, and we often know why right now, don't we? When we haven't got the option uh, in midfield to change much, and I don't think we've got too much option across the back four. There's only the because you know to use Bruno as an impact player. Who do you bring in the midfield? You'd have to try to convert one of the wingers to play in there, and I don't think we've got a winger. That, I mean, some maximum couldn't play in there, but would you want? Would you want Gordon or Almiron? Or I Murphy? think Gordon's the only realistic option if you're going to do that. And you then need to move hey, to I tell you what, he, I, he can't win over the fans in his normal position, so let's not give him burden by yeah. trying to make hey, him win. John, you know what? It could be a Joe Linton moment. You shift him into centre midfield and he comes, becomes the best centre midfielder the world's ever seen. Who knows? But that's Fantasy what. Island. <laughs> but you would have to move Joe Linton into the, that defensive role. And again, you know. It's not worked for him in that role either, which I think is a little bit bizarre because he's excelled. He's a big man, and you would think he wouldn't do too bad. He did all right against Brentford when he was moved into that position, didn't he? But when it's been tried since, it hasn't worked. 
You know what I want them to do with Joe Linton in the summer, mate? If he's going to play midfield as opposed to centre-forward or outside-left, if he's going to play in midfield and that's where he's getting all the accolades, can they take him in the summer and teach him how to tackle, how to time a tackle? I think he's had 10 yellows or more than 10 yellows and the penalty he gave away was a centre-forward. It was a centre-forward's tackle which is what he arrived at Newcastle as. I mean, he didn't, but we made him a centre-forward. Um, it was a centre-forward's tackle. He's big. So if you mistime it near his size and you end up sitting on the, your opponent at his size, the ref gives gives you a card. And he's had more cards than, than the Las Vegas gambler this season uh, through mistimed challenges, mistimed challenges. Now, if he's going, if he's going to be Patrick Vieira, He's going to have to learn, how, and I'm not having to go to him, I'm talking about the old man. He's got to learn how to, to challenge cleaner. I will defend him on that, John. I'm going to defend him, and I'm going to bring another stat to you. Uh, Joe Linton has made 70 tackles this season. That's the most of any Newcastle United player. So I get what you're saying, uh, but he has made the most tackles uh, in the Premier League for yeah, most, most, of, most, of, most of the tackles have been breathing heavily on a bloke's neck because they're terrified yeah. to death whenever he gets near them and so would I be because it, it would be like one of these giant redwood trees falling on you wouldn't it um, but yes I'm not being overcritical of him but he does sometimes tackle like a forward tackle mm. you know the, the way you say somebody has a shot and it's more like Johnny Wilkinson conversion or drop goal, you say that's a centre-half shooting because he, he shoots in it. Some of Joe Linton's tackles have been centre-forward's tackles. Um, mm. And, you know, he's just got to get a bit cuter. But it's understandable. He's big and he hasn't played that position. When he was growing up learning football, I don't think he was learning how to tackle much because he, he was playing as a forward. Yeah, yeah, but he's become key, hasn't he? Um, yeah, yes, 15 overall in the Premier League for tackles made this season. But as you say, he has collected quite a few yellow cards as well. Interestingly, I mentioned there. By the way, had that had what he's tackling the area at Leeds, had they scored from that, and anybody but Bamford would have scored from that, then we lost, mate. It's 2 0. Yeah. We lost. We yeah, no. We it 1 1, didn't we? Yeah, and it was a great, um, a great save from Nick Pope. I mean, I was going to say that Tyler Adams, I think, is fourth in the list with tackles. But interestingly, as you mentioned there on the yellow cards, Joe Linton tops the Premier League stat table on yellow cards with 12, tied yeah. with uh, Polina at Fulham. Ruben Neves has been linked with Newcastle. He's third on 11. But yeah, Joe Linton tops that. So, yeah. And, you know. and they're not... They're not like uh, Norman Hunter bites your legs or Chopper Harris or, or the Anfield Iron, Tommy Smith. They're not vicious tacklers. They're clumsy. They're mistimed. They're, they're mistimed. That's, that's all. He's not, he's not, he doesn't bend people in half like some of the real hard men have done. It, it's just mistimed. But let me put this to you. If we were sitting here a year ago and we said the only thing Joe Linton needs to improve in his game is to stop getting booked as often as he does. John, you you would think I was talking absolute nonsense. Abs absolutely, because he played centre-forward like um, a ballet dancer. 
Um, you know, he, he, he was he was sort of tiptoe. He never used his physicality, did he, as a centre forward? Really, uh, he didn't knock about centre halves in uh, in the way that he does now. But I mean, if you told us anything about Joe Linton um, when he was playing centre forward for Newcastle, you would be surprised. Although I've got to stress, you know, as we're talking, and it's only on record, so you can prove it. Three weeks before he was switched to midfield by Eddie Howe, I did a column in the Chronicle saying the redemption for this centre forward might be from the play midfield with a game happening in front of him. You're smiling there, go and get the clippings. That's no, I, I don't me. doubt it. And I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie Howe hasn't got that column framed and put up in his office, John. <laughs> but uh, yes, but I did, I did say that. And um, uh, I'm not taking the credit. The credit belongs to Eddie Howe for doing it, and it belongs to Joe Linton for making it happen. But I just saw the possibility that there was in that, and I'm absolutely thrilled for Big Joe. The credit belongs to, Ke- uh, to Kieran Clark as well. Finest thing he ever did in a black and white shirt getting sent off against Norwich. Uh, just I finally guess. on Joe Linton, player of the season. I mean, we're getting a bit sidetracked here, but we are getting sidetracked. He would certainly be in that. Uh, in the, the and but so would so many until this. I mean, until his injury, Bruno would be in there, and people would have Trippier in there. There's some that'll say Pope should have a shout in there. Uh, there's some that would say Isaac should have a shout, and yet he's he's only played half a season. There's some, you know, just that, that would say Carl uh, uh, Callum Wilson, who's got 17 goals. There's only Shearer in recent times scored more goals in one Premier League season than Callum Wilson, who's got more than Denver Bar, etc., etc. Now I'm not thinking for one moment he should get it, but there's an awful lot being in there. Uh, is, is possibilities, but Big Joe's certainly one of them, absolutely. Well, I'll take you behind the curtain. Um, the Chronicle Player of the Season, Player of the Year, will be coming at the end of the season. I know for a fact that the person picking the nominations can only pick four players to nominate. Four players. So... The, the guy the guy that's putting out the four to, for, to be voted with can only pick four. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's going to be... I mean, Joe Linton will be one of them. But it'll be interesting because I've mentioned about five players off the top of my head that, that you know, could get a shout in the thing. So, yeah. yes, the, the the short list of four is going to be interesting. Getting the one after that. Hey, I tell you what, it may come down to these three games. The guy that, that takes Wendy into the Champions League by blowing everybody away in these three games could end up, that could be the clincher. Yeah, indeed it could. So, look out for that at the end of the season to see who was nominated and then you can vote away and uh, crown your player of the season. Um, let's run through the team then, John. So, uh, Nick Pope, Kieran Trippier, Fabian Scher, Botman, Dan Byrne, into midfield, Bruno Willick, Joe Linton. Onto the wings, I'm going to go Fallon's at maximum and Jacob Murphy. I'm definitely going to get voted out of the Miguel Almiron fan club. I'm going to lose my seat as the founder and chairman, but I'm going to go for Jacob Murphy on the, on the wide. I think you can bring Almiron off as that impact player, perhaps. And then I'm going to go Isaac up top. Yeah, well, I mean, as I say, the midfield and the backs picked itself because the alternatives just aren't there. Uh, the front three is the only thing that you can juggle with. 
I would agree that I would start with Isaac and bring Wilson on as an impact sub. I would definitely have Murphy on one side. Sim Maximum worries me because um, for two reasons. One, is he match fit enough to start because he, um, he, he hasn't got a lot of time as a sub under his belt? And secondly, if we are going to at all be under the cosh, flowing, ebbing, flowing against Brighton, well, him tracking back, forget it. So there's that problem. I think I would probably go with him, but I could make out a case for it being your mate, Almir and, and Murphy. Um, but in uh, doing uh, Wilson and San Maximum on his second half impact subs, they would be terrific impact subs, by the way. It's whether we can afford them not to be in the team from the start, but they would be terrific impact subs. Yeah, the only thing that stops me saying Miguel Amiron and Murphy on the same side is that I think he's had options to do that before, and I just think he likes both of them. One, Obviously, one of them wants to play on the right. I don't see him playing. I mean, to be fair, you know, I I would like to see Almiron start on the left because I think he can quit in much easier. But he's just... Eddie Howe's never done that. Jacob Murphy's... I don't think someone will correct me, no doubt, but I don't think he's really ever started out on the, on the left. So, yeah. I mean, if you're looking for... I think Eddie listens to these uh, podcasts and then think and then has that little uh, Alec Jones smile on his face and thinks I'll tuck up these boys. I mean, he refused to start Wilson and Isaac for ages when everybody was asking for it, and now he's playing them all the time. When we when people are saying don't play them, just start with one. He's, he went down, you know, you on about playing Gordon at it, 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 uh, Leeds, and he stuck. With Isaac out there, yes, he brought him in to play as a 10, which made a huge difference. So, yes, you never know what he's going to do. He refuses to do something. Then he does something completely out of the ordinary. I mean, he, he could just fool us all and start Anderson wide left. Why not? Why not? <laughs> uh, he, he did start Murphy, though, all them months back, and he won me a Nando's bet off Aaron. So maybe he was listening. He, he felt he wanted to win me a Nando's. So thank you. For that, but yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see who he does start. Massive, massive game, John. How's it going to go? And Newcastle are going to pick up all three points? Yes, they are. I, I think, yes, I've, I've got to stick with them. I've stuck with them all the way through. I've said we will make Champions League. I'll reiterate what I said at the top of the program, which is we can lose our draw with. Brighton and it's still in our hands because we beat Leicester, we beat Chelsea we're in the Champions League and it doesn't matter what Liverpool do so it's not all doom and gloom it's not must win from that point of view but in an ideal world we, I want us to qualify for the Champions League on home turf because the fans deserve that They really, and to do that we've got to beat Brighton and then we'll beat Leicester and we've done it on home turf. And I want to see that. I think it'll be very nervy. I think there'll be one goal in it. I think we'll scrape it. But yes, I'm taking with a win. And it goes without saying we'll beat Leicester. So then we do qualify for the Champions League at St James's, And that would be perfect. If it has to go to Chelsea and we do it, I'll accept that rather than not do it. But I want to do it the right way. And I think it will be a very nervy night. But I think we can do it. And um, rather than remember Arsenal nil, Brighton 3, I'm keep remembering Brighton 1, Everton 5. 
Yeah, I'm going to go for Newcastle United win. I think it would be a good game for the neutral. I think an early goal is key. I'm back in Newcastle to get the early goal and then to go on and, and, and win 2-1, something like that. But yeah, I'm hoping they get an early goal and set the tone. It's going to be nervy, as you say, but yeah, Newcastle to get all three points and take that step towards top four qualification, Champions League football, and yeah, a win for Newcastle on Thursday. Thank you, John, as always, for popping on to the match preview. To you guys listening, head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to catch up with all the latest Newcastle United news, including Eddie Howe's press conference on Wednesday morning. I'll be back with Richie Mills, who covers Brighton. We'll have the view from the opposition. But for me and John, we shall see you later this week. Two episodes this week. You lucky, lucky people. We'll be back on Friday. So look out look out for us then. We'll see you guys very soon. This has been the Everything is Black and White podcast.